Hello and welcome. It's On Mike with Jordan Rich. Great to be with you in this brand new year as we record. It's 2020 and conversation is alive and well in the new decade. First, the contact information, email address, Jordan at chartproductions.com. That's C-H-A-R-T, chartproductions.com, where we produce the program. Twitter account is at Jordan WBZ and on Facebook, it's The Jordan Rich Show. My guest today is the one and only Jerry Jewell. Known to millions as Cousin Jerry on the NBC sitcom The Facts of Life, she was the first person with a disability to have a role, a regular role, on a primetime show. She began her career doing stand-up comedy at the Comedy Store in the late 70s, and soon after, in 1980, she performed at the second annual Media Access Awards where she was introduced to the one and only Norman Lear, and her career took off. Jerry's appeared on a whole bunch of shows, The Young and the Restless, Sesame Street, 21 Jump Street, the Emmy Award-winning movie Two of a Kind, and of course, the HBO hit series Deadwood. Jerry Jewell is also sought after as a motivational speaker and trainer in the areas of disability, diversity, and GLBT issues. She uses humor so effectively to bring about attitudinal change, creating hope and joy where there's pain so many projects, and among them is her autobiography, I'm Walking As Straight As I Can, that received the 2012 Gold Award by the independent publishers. Jerry Jewell is a remarkable performer and an even more impressive human being. Oh, and by the way, she has a furry friend with her named Juliet, who you might hear from during the interview. So now it's my pleasure to say, Jerry Jewell. Let's go on, Mike. Well, I started doing stand-up comedy in 1978. And I was asked to perform at the second annual Media Access Awards in 1980, no, 1979, a year later. And Norman Lear were, and Charlotte Ray were both in the audience that night. And after I did my comedy routine, Norman came up to me and he said, you're really funny, kid, but you're way before your time. And I said, so wait a couple months. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he actually waited three months. It was three months later that I got a call that he had written me into an episode of The Facts of Life, which aired on Christmas Eve, 1980. It was so cool, and I also was watching you do comedy prior to that. And let's talk oh, about. Oh wow! Le, oh yeah, let's. Because I, I, I'm a big fan of stand up, and I know that you worked in one of the most legendary places, the Comedy Store. Oh yeah, many, 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 many times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's where everybody from Pryor to Robin Williams they all started there. Jerry, they all Absolutely. started. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's go back even further and chat with you a little bit about your childhood and about when you knew you wanted to perform and why it was so much a goal of yours. Take us back to your early days when this all started. Well, I I was born in Buffalo, New York. That was my first disability. (laughs) 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 And um, my parents relocated in California when I was 18 months old because at that time, the leader in shot in infant emergency care and diagnosis was UCLA pediatric. And so my mom and dad basically sacrificed everything and picked up the whole family and moved to LA to get me diagnosed at UCLA when I was 18 months old. So I was diagnosed with having cerebral palsy mm-hmm. and then pretty much uh, I, I, I 
relatively normal shower because they're having CP. <laughs> I, oh, I hear the cat agrees with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were in, so you're in L.A. because Juliet. of your parents. Yeah, okay. Juliet, please. <laughs> Juliet is the loudest cat that I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and she knows I'm hearing impaired, so she... That's why she's so loud. Is she saying, wherefore art thou Romeo and cat speak, or what? <laughs> always wondered about No, that. she's jealous every time I get on the <laughs> phone with someone. She wants me off the phone. I see, I see. <laughs> she it. Uh, and I turned her water fountain off. She has a little water fountain, so I turned it off so there wouldn't be any interruptions. And I'll here we go. <laughs> Well, we can we can certainly accommodate Juliet in the conversation. So you okay, were okay. So I grew up in Orange County, California. Right. I uh, graduated from high school in 1975. Uh, went to college for three years, and then dropped out of college and became a stand-up comic. And truthfully, I I was mesmerized by television as a child. Because it was a form of escapism for me. I I was always bused far away to special schools, so I never got to develop friendships in my own neighborhood because nobody knew. Mm, and right. I was ridiculed and mimicked by a lot of neighborhood kids. And so my safe haven was to run in the house and watch TV. Mm. And one of my idols was Carol Burnett. Oh, sure. And I started writing Carol when I was about 12 and told her that I wanted to be like her when I grew up. I wanted to be a comedic actress and a writer. And by the way, I have cerebral palsy. What do you think? And Carol, one of the letters that I got from Carol, and I still have it to this day, said that there was no guarantees She's, that I would become professional. There's no guarantees in life, period. But the important thing is to put out the effort and to try. Getting the acting in every capacity. Nobody knows what they can do unless they try. And that letter just changed my life. I hung on to every word she ever wrote me. Isn't that cool? Wow. And it takes takes people like that in our lives to remind us of that. And uh, the fact that you reached out is really impressive. Um, uh, too many people think that they're alone and that no one will answer their questions, and many won't, but she did. Good for her and good for you. Yes, she did. She, she, it, it was, I'm very blessed. And I even ordered tickets to the Carol Burnett show when I was 16, or 17, I can't remember if my sophomore or junior year, but it just happened to be the episode where she was wearing the curtains on her shoulders, <laughs> and I was in the front row of that audience. That's a classic. That's one of those cult classic episodes that we see on I YouTube know. all the time. Wow. So, Jerry, doing stand-up is no easy task, and they say that so many comics, and I have friends in Boston who are com- so many comics are doing it because it's a chance to get people to laugh, not at you, but with you. What was the first stand-up like for you? Because so many people do, want to put it politely, bomb early on. What was it like for you when you get up there? Truthfully, I was still 
in oncology at the time, and I and I was studying anatomy and physiology and algebra for the second time. I was very frustrated, and I was sitting in the disabled services department. And my friend Alex Valdez, who happened to be blind, he he realized how bummed out I was, and he said, "What is your problem, Jewel?" And I said, well, I'm flunking out this class. I really don't want to be here. I want to be in show business. I want to be an actress. I want to be a comedian like Carol Burnett. And he said, well, why don't you do what I do? So what do you do? I, I go to this comedy store every week and tell blind jokes. <laughs> and I said, well, Alex, that may work for you, but I can see just fine. And he said, no, dinky face. You go to the comedy store and tell terrible plastic jokes. So I give credit and blame to Alex into this. And this is interesting because he, he and his friend John Holton drove me up to L.A. the week before to meet Danny Moore, who ran the original room at the comedy store. And he wanted me to meet Danny to see if I could do amateur night. And when Danny met me, he said, Jerry, look, there's never been a comedian quite like you before. And I can't guarantee that Mr. Shaw will approve of you or not. And I don't want you to get up on stage and have Mickey say, okay, she's never going to perform in my club again. I mean, you didn't know that she would be prejudiced, but he didn't want to take that risk. Mm. He said, I want you to be polished before Mitzi ever sees you. So the deal is, you come to the comedy store every Monday night, an amateur night, around 11, 11.30, and knock on the back door, tell him that, to tell Danny that Jerry's here, and when Mitzi leaves the room, I'll put you on. <laughs> Mitzi, by the way, Polly Shore's mother, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right. And the first show that I ever did on that Monday night, I knocked on the back door. Uh, They informed Danny that I was there. Mitzi left the room a short time after. He ran to the MC. Okay, introduce Jerry from Orange County. Right now, right now. We'll put the other comic on after Jerry. And when you think of Jerry, you think of a male. You don't automatically think female. Mm. So he introduced me as a he. And now, people were warm welcome to Jerry Jewel. He drove <laughs> all the way from Orange County. And I got up on stage, and I'm hearing impaired. I was hearing aids, and you could not hear a thing. I thought I was deaf at that time. <laughs> Because you could not hear one thing. And I just looked out at the audience, and I could hear. It was so quiet that I could hear the mumbling in the front row. It was like, oh, my God, that's a he? Oh. And he drove like that. (laughs) (laughs) So the intro was helping already, I guess, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I didn't correct anybody. I just went into my routine that I wrote probably two nights before. Mm. And my first line was, 
I don't know about you people, but I've heard an awful lot about the gays that have been coming out of the closet lately. <laughs> Again, no laughter, complete silence. And I said, but what you haven't heard about are those terrible, palsy people that have been coming out of the closet. But don't tell Anita Bryant. <laughs> I, remember I don't that. want. Everybody know, I don't want anybody to know it's a secret, so this is our secret. And the joke was was that you can't keep it a secret of moving all over the place, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. I get their laughter. Don't tell Anita Bryant, especially because she'll go on another bandwagon and she'll travel all over the country saying, We must stop these people with terrible policy from teaching in our public schools. They will influence our children, and before you know it, all our children will be moving like this. <laughs> <laughs> I so remember and, the Anita Bryant days, yes. Yeah, I had them in the palm of my hand, and I got a standing ovation. Oh, that's great. Now, now over the course of your stand-up career, did you ever, though, run into people who didn't have that wonderful sense of humor that most Americans have and said, hey, you know, you're demeaning people with disabilities. Because today, especially, there are so many uh, sensitive types out there who think everything is offensive. What, what Was there any occasion where that happened? Well, of course there was. Come on, that's a fact of life. Speaking of fact of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the irony there is early on when I was doing stand-up, I got reviewed by the LA Times which was a huge review, two-page article, okay? And the writer wrote, and I read this in the LA Times, was that this is a refreshing new comic, so self-confident that she acts like her hecklers aren't even there. Huh. She just she just goes into her next, next bit and, and ignores her hecklers. And the truth of the matter is, I didn't know I had any hecklers because I never heard them. You never heard the hecklers. Boy, <laughs> what a great defense against hecklers. Just don't listen. <laughs> don't hear them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I have hecklers. Oh. oh, that's so funny. Well, <laughs> you know, there's a book that you wrote, and I want to plug it right now. It's called I'm Walking As Straight As I Can. And it's quite compelling, got great reviews. A lot of people have read it and should read it. And you wrote that book and talked not only about cerebral palsy, uh, which is something that's quite obvious, I mean, to, to those who know you, but you also wrote about uh, other issues, including, you know, your your sexual preference and stuff. You've had to battle through more than one blockade. Tell us a bit more about the book and, and what you hope to achieve with it. Well, in a seashell, and I don't like to say nutshell, but <laughs> I had an autobiography published in 1984 called Jerry. And I had a dream book tour that authors would, you know, just want. My God, I was on every major talk show in the United States. But the irony of that is that I hated my book. And I didn't write it. I, I probably had very little to do with it. And I made a pact with myself that one day I would write the real Jerry Jewell story. And it would be all my words. I would write it. And in 2009, I did it. It took me a year and a half to complete, and it was published in 2011. 
and I'm walking as straight as I can with the play on words. It was, you know, cerebral palsy and being gay combined. What a combo. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good play on words, but it's 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 a very important part of your life to to say what you have to say, your own words. I think that's that's so helpful to you, right, to get this story out there and to share it with the world. It was cathartic. It was, you know, okay, I'm putting it all out there. I have nothing to lose. What am I worried about? You know, um, I had been in the industry since 1978. Deadwood ended in 2006 for me at that time. And as usual, every time I have done something on TV and it ends, sometimes I wait years, if not a decade, to work again. This has always mm. been the pattern. I don't understand it. Let, let but me. I thought, hey, yeah. I have a lot of time on my hands. I might as well write my book. And that's let, why it came about. Let me ask the question that has to be asked, and it's and it's. I know the answer because I've interviewed other people who have broken through the barrier, but the barrier is still very, very high. I'm, I'm talking about entertainers, particularly actors, Jerry, in television and film roles who are passed over for, uh, shall we say, uh, physically adept actors who pretend to be disabled. And it goes on all the time, even now. Are you are you hopeful that more people with, I don't want to want, with different abilities will have a chance to, to get up there and act as you have? Well, yes, there's, there's been a lot of headway. In fact, I was at the Media Act, the 40th Media Act of the Awards last week. So it's, Hollywood is, has come a long way in considering people with disabilities for roles, hopefully lead and co-starring roles. And yes, it's gotten a lot better, absolutely, but we have a longer way to go. You know, we have to train the casting directors to consider, not just, you know, uh, let, let's put it this way. Every major role that I have ever gotten in my career has not come from auditioning. I have had a total of maybe 39, 40 auditions in 40 years. Hmm. That's how much most actresses have in a week <laughs> or a month. Um, so I've been very blessed that Norman Lear was in my audience. In 2002, I was standing in line at a pharmacy, and David Milch was, was in That's that line. The Deadwood. Deadwood. Right, right. In a pharmacy. Uh, well, they oh. say, uh, who was it? Uh, who got uh, discovered in in a pharmacy in a Hollywood? It was Lana Turner. Lana Turner. You're Lana Turner re- Redux. That's what you are. Yes, I know. That's great. I know. You got to tell me some Deadwood stories. I love this series. The fact that you did the movie with so many other of your castmates so many years later is amazing and beautiful. I love the film. How did you? You, you mentioned David Milch, but talk about the role because for many people, you were the most sympathetic of all characters. Getting wailed at by you-know-who, uh, Snidely Whiplash there, <laughs> Ian, Ian's character. Tell us a little bit about Dead, Deadwood and how you worked that role and so forth. Well, like I said, I, I met David in the pharmacy. He wrote his phone number on a prescription pad for an antidepressant. <laughs> 
really did. That's I believe you. <laughs> um, and he basically he told me that at some point he wanted me to read about the 1800 Deadwood, and I read several books, two of which he gave me. Juliet, come on. <laughs> wow. Um, Juliet, please. That might be the best meowing cat I've ever heard on the phone. Unbelievable. I know. She's, like I said, she knows I'm hearing impaired, and she does it intentionally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so I actually wrote 20 pages of backstory for the character, Mm. and I faxed it to David. And he called me back within the hour and told me that he loved what I wrote. He said, you're a great writer. And I like about 97% of what you wrote. Gosh. And I said, well, what don't you like? He didn't like the name I chose for my character. It was Crazy Kate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I said, but I like Crazy Kate. And he said, I don't. Her name is Jewel. Yeah. And so he gave her the name Jewel. And of course, I was Cousin Jerry on Fact of Life, so I got both of my names. You get your names in there. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But what what's interesting about Deadwood is, of course, people reacted to the language. My goodness. And it was so coarse, but it was almost Shakespearean-like. It was so beautifully delivered. And, and uh, your character is right in the middle of a lot of the action. A lot of stuff going on when you're there. Yes, I you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that I was the first character that David ever cast in Deadwood, even before Ian McShane. Wow. And, That's impressive. And I think he knew that the show was dark and needed some light. So, as you said, I was the light of Deadwood. You know, I kind of got people to smile, to feel, to have empathy. And uh, that was that was the role of Jewel. My my character had the least foul language in the whole show. Uh, right, right. Yeah, and when it, when I ran into David at the pharmacy in two thousand and two, I was still recovering from from spinal cord surgery from C one to C seven, so practically my whole neck. And I thought my career was over at that point. And I ran into David Milch. And then last summer, I had spinal cord surgery again in my lower back. And I, it was a long recovery. And the surgeon said that I would be back to my normal in about a month, whatever. And two months later, I, two and a half months later, I still was using a walker. I couldn't drive, part-time wheelchair user, chronic pain. And I got my script emailed to me from Deadwood. And I read it, and I was like, there's no way. I can't do this. So I left a message with production about the surgery and that um, please tell David that I can't do the role, um, that he has my blessings to recast Jewel. 
And she said, are you sure you want me to give him that message? And I said, yes, because it's the truth. He called me the next day and he said, Jay, I got your message. I said, yeah, and? And there's only one jewel mm. and it's you. And I don't care if I have to get a wheelchair accessible trailer, if hair and makeup comes to you, if I have to hire a driver, if I have to make trip changes, you're going to do jewel. Uh. And, and tears just came to my eyes. Uh. And I said, you believe in me that much? And he said, Jerry, I believe in you from the top of your head to the tip of your toes. And so there were two pivotal times in my life where physically I thought it was over. Mm. And David comes into my path, and he says, no, it's not. (laughs) I've got chills. Those are such great stories. And we're all blessed in so many ways, no matter what we all look like on the outside. There are so many things that happen to us on the inside, and that's a great, great example of kindness. And and also understanding, quite frankly, my dear, that you have the talent to get it done. I mean, Hollywood doesn't waste time with people who can't do the job. So, Well, I, I honestly didn't think I could do it. I wasn't playing games. I thought, how in the hell am I supposed to do this? <laughs> you know? Well, you look great on screen to me. <laughs> well, what's interesting about that role was is that once I realized that I had to film it, I went back to the surgeon and told him that I had to get out of this stupid back place that they didn't wear back places in the 1800s. That's true. And he, he wouldn't let me get out of it because he said if anything goes wrong, and you're out of the brace, insurance companies won't pay for any more surgery because you were out of the brace. So I went back to Deadwood, very despondent over that, and I said, unfortunately, I can't get out of the brace. What are we going to do? And Jeannie Bryan, who was just an incredible costume designer, she made my dress bigger to wear over the brace, and then props built an actual replica of a brace that they wore in the 1800s that I wore over the over the dress to hide the real brace. Wow! So I was double braced, and actually <laughs> that was a blessing because double braced. <laughs> expedited my healing of my Oh, mouth. boy. That, uh, that's Hollywood <laughs> magic, Jerry. Hollywood magic. That is so cool. Well, listen, you you are such a delight, and so is Juliet, by the way. But um, <laughs> people can go to your website, which is your name, jerryjewel.com. Is that correct? Yes, correct. And, and I should add that you're very busy as a motivational speaker and, and an author and, of course, an actress and comedian. You have a great life. Uh, Most importantly of all, thank you for sharing your life with all of us. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. And I just got done doing a documentary for NBC, a two-hour documentary on the fact of life. So I don't have an air date, but that's coming up also. And we can keep up with you on your website for details on all the exciting things uh, happening. Well, listen. Absolutely. Continue to do what you do. Feel great. Thank you again for for all the joy you've brought viewers and listeners. 
Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank him, Juliet. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Juliet. A dynamic lady and a fine talent and a lovely person. That's Jerry Jewell with, of course, Juliet chiming in. You've been listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, a podcast available on all major podcast platforms. I certainly invite you to subscribe and download, rate and review the podcast. We've gotten some great reviews of late, and, that's, and it helps spread the word throughout the land, with listeners checking in from just about every state and now dozens of countries. Conversation with interesting, creative people. There's more ahead. Just keep on listening, and thank you so much. I'm Jordan Rich. As always, be well so you can do good.